Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today with me, I have Zach Long, who is better known as the Barbell Physio. He has uh, grown tremendously on social media over the years, and he is a really well-known name in the physical therapy slash strength training world. He works with a lot of CrossFitters, athletes, and weightlifters specifically, but today we talk about all lifters. We dive into specifically how lifters of the general population, as well as the athletic community, can really focus on prehab and, and avoiding pain and injury from lifting, as well as addressing any dysfunctions or poor movement patterns that are already causing some of these issues if you are experiencing pain. So you're going to get a lot out of this podcast if you are a lifter. If you ever touch a barbell, this is the podcast for you because in this podcast, we dive deep into rehab, prehab, all the commonalities of low back pain and knee pain and shoulder pain, mobility versus stability versus flexibility. I mean, you are going to learn so much um, and actually learn that you don't need to spend that much time stretching or doing mobility. And this is coming out of the mouth of a professional physical therapist that works with high level athletes. So I really think you're going to enjoy this one. If you like this podcast and you want to check out more of Zach's content, head over to Instagram and follow him at the barbell physio who's a perfect name for what he does um, and of course if you like this episode also leave us a five-star rating and review without any further ado let's talk to the one and only zach long the barbell physio all right man i am excited to have you on i've been following you for a long time so it was cool when i dm'd you and you mentioned that you were familiar you were following me i was dming you as if you had no idea who i was so it was, it was humbling it was really cool to hear that um and the fact that you've been around my block quite a few times. I didn't realize you come out here so often, so we'll have to link up in person soon. But um, today I want to get into the fundamentals of lifting, man. I, I think you're the perfect person to get on this show and tell people how to prevent injuries, how to uh, maybe get rid of some nagging aches and pains and, and speaking from not just like the clinical side, but more of like the the lifting side, because I think that's a gap that is often missed, right, is in why I love your content, some of the others like mm -hmm. you is like, it's not just physical therapy and it's not just strength training. It's really like bridging that gap, which I think is so helpful. Yeah. Um, so before we get into that, man, fill us in with who you are and, and why you do what you do. What's your background? Why, why jump into PT and all that kind of stuff? All right. Yeah. So I'm a physical therapist in Charlotte, North Carolina that primarily works with CrossFitters, Olympic weightlifters, powerlifters, really anybody that is touching a barbell and is lifting with performance-based goals in mind um, come from a history of working in strength and conditioning for years prior to getting into physical therapy and just fortunate enough that i'm in this situation where i i am working with people that have those performance-based goals helping them get out of pain and helping them get to where they're actually working more towards the performance-based things that they want to be tackling as well love it so so what made you get into that in the first place like what was uh were you a crossfitter and or, or a weightlifter or anything like that and you were dealing with issues or or did you just from the start want to go that path? So from the start, like I, as many people in like the fitness world go, like started playing high school football and fell in love with the weight room a little bit more than with football itself. So I thought that I wanted to work in strength and conditioning, um, spent some time when I was an undergraduate working for the University of North Carolina's football team and their strength and conditioning department, as well as a local high school. And after doing that for a few years, I just knew that it like wasn't the right challenge for me. And I got a job instead working at a physical therapy place, just being like an assistant and fell in love with that. But then when I got out into physical therapy world, after getting through physical therapy school, I realized that I did not want to work in your standard physical therapy practices 
where all I was seeing was like total knee replacements and um, non-active people with back pain and knee pain and that sort of stuff. And my enjoyment is, is finding those people that like desperately want to get back underneath the barbell, but something's holding them back from being at their best. And then not only figuring out how do we get them out of pain, but then, you know, what are the things that are going to unlock their performance or that may have led to that pain and figuring out uh, that combination of stuff is just so exciting. Yeah. So with a lot of these people that you work with, do you find that um, improper use of the barbell was what stopped them from being able to get under the barbell and that you show them how to get back under it the right way? Or is it uh, non-related injuries that are, are happening? And, and I ask that because I'm not in that realm. We're more strength, muscle, body composition focused. But a lot of times that we see half and half, we see people that they hurt themselves in the gym doing the wrong thing. And so it's finding the right person to help them get back to it. And then there's other people that hurt themselves doing something completely different. Like for me, it was an old soccer injury that I just never appropriately addressed. And it just kept lingering until it, it resurfaced. And then it was like figuring out how to move properly all over again. So like, what are you yeah. seeing most commonly? Man, it's all of that. So you can't just look at when an injury happens, it's not just thinking about the injury now, but it's thinking about somebody's long-term training history and how they grew up genetically, how, how their body's predisposed, all these different factors can lead to the current injury that you're dealing with. So, um, God, for example, um, just treated a basketball player. So a very high level basketball player that became a CrossFit athlete basketball player they're running and jumping non-stop that training history of that many reps of running and jumping and basically leads to the achilles tendon getting stiffer and it's just an adaptation that happens when you do reps after reps after reps of specific movements your body changes a little bit for that so that individual's ankle mobility was garbage because that achilles tendon stiffness from years and years of basketball made it to where when he squatted he would get knee and shoulder pain because of the positioning that that mm. that ankle stiffness put him in so it's it's a combination of having to look at the entire life history looking at their current technique with the bar and looking at lifestyle factors as well i think so often when we talk about any injury we're we're talking about technique or we're talking about mobility specific to those movements but we got to look big picture at what an injury is an injury is what happens when you challenge a tissue beyond what its current capacity is. So imagine you have a bridge and you put so many cars on that bridge that the bridge starts to crumble. You challenge that bridge beyond its capacity. That's what happens with so many different uh, sports injuries. And so we have to think through this balance between what we're asking the tissue to do to get fitter because we want tissues to get fitter and what we're doing to recover from it. And we, we ignore that balance far too much. So it's, you know, how much have you been working out? What's that workout history like? What are you doing sleep wise? nutrition wise are you working out too much too little are you not recovering enough sleep nutrition etc wise so it's it's a lot more than just one or two of those things yeah i'm i'm gonna assume the answer is often but i want to hear your explanation for this because i think it'll be so much more helpful for the listeners um how often do you get somebody like that who comes in he's like oh my shoulder is bugging me blah blah and then you're like oh it's your ankle and they're like blown away because they're like, no, my shoulder hurts. And you're like, yeah, but what happened there 10 years ago and blah, blah, blah. And you kind of go through this chain of events. And so how, how common is that? And, and how do you address that? Like, how do you figure that out with somebody in, in, in layman terms? So the listener, the lifter listening can actually understand what you're going about, you know, uh, when you do this. So I get that a lot because I'd say 
a huge chunk of the patients that I treat in the clinic, I am the second or third person that they've seen. And so it tends to mean for me that those weird things are what I run into a little bit more often than a lot of other people will. So they've had shoulder pain with their overhead squats or their snatches for a long time. They've gone to somebody else. They do, you know, your typical hands-on treatment stuff, your typical rotator cuff strength stuff, but that person never you know, didn't know that this was an Olympic weightlifter. This is a crossfitter that does something like the overhead squat. And in the overhead squat, if you don't have good ankle mobility or in the squat, generally, if you have poor ankle mobility, you're going to lean forward more in your squat. And that's fine. If it's a back squat, I don't really care what your torso angle is when you back squat, but if we overhead squat and you're leaned really far forward, that puts your shoulder in a really weird position. And so depending on somebody's sport, you have to look a lot broader than just at the joint or the muscle or the, that area that's injured. Do you think there's reason to then, um, obviously you would assess everything, but does everybody, sh I shouldn't say need, but should everybody be working on all of the above? Like for example, if somebody is wanting to avoid that, or they're not sure if that's what they're going through and they're in California and they can't come see you or whatever it may be, should they be just generally looking and working on ankle mobility, hip mobility, thoracic mobility, shoulder mobility, or do you think it's more important for most people to just figure out what the one thing is and just focus on that? Like, I know it's yeah. a really broad question, but I think there's like, there's two, there's two broad spectrums or camps where some people spend 45 minutes doing mobility. And, and as the kind of lifter yeah. I am, I always wonder, is that necessary? It seems like you're almost like yeah. mentally fatigued by the time you get done with all that and you never got to lift versus somebody who just skips mm -hmm. it completely, you know? Yeah. My thoughts on mobility training is do as little as possible, but as much as is necessary. So I don't, I believe that if let's, let's say you like your workout routine, your life requires that you have a certain amount of mobility to get into good positions for the activities that you do. So if, if you're doing back squats, front squats, overhead squats regularly, you need some decent amount of ankle mobility. You need a decent amount of hip mobility, but if you can squat, all the way down to parallel or below parallel with good technique. Do we need to open up more hip mobility, more ankle mobility? Is that going to make you less likely to get injured? Is that going to push your performance to the next level? I don't believe so. I want you to have as much mobility as you need for those activities that you care about. And like one degree more to give you some wiggle room on those occasional reps where you get out of position. I want you to have a little bit more freedom than that. But I don't care if you can do like the most crazy yoga poses in the world. If your goal is to back squat a heavy weight to parallel. So I think any more time than what you absolutely is necessary for you to get into better positions is a waste of your time that could be spent working on other aspects of your fitness. Mm. I don't believe that more mobility when you have adequate positioning adds anything to your fitness. I love that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I can't say I was expecting that, which is great because I, I agree 100%. And I think that, again, we work in the realm of body composition specifically. So I'm even more so on that realm because it's like, uh, sometimes I'm like, you don't even need a back squat. Don't worry about it because your goal isn't to get stronger at a back squat, you know? And yeah. so, but in a performance-based sport or lifting category, it's completely different. So it's nice to hear that. Mm -hmm. um, when looking at these things, this is something I learned in school, probably what it would be a decade ago now. So obviously things update. So I didn't go the route of pain prevention or performance as much as I, I did again, body composition and stuff. But I'm, I'm curious if this is still somewhat accurate or if things have changed. And I want to say it was like more of like a, I think it was a gray cook thing back in the day, but 
um, like the mobility stability continuum, you know, like for example, if you have a knee pain or injury, you would look above and below because maybe your knee is lacking uh, or is trying to be mobile because you have no mobility in your hips or knees and it's supposed to be a stable joint and therefore you end up having an injury. Is that still a useful way to try to figure out what, why something's going on or is that like overly simplistic now? It's simplistic. There's some truth behind it, but I don't look at it's a very broad brush look at like, what do people need at the ankle? Do they need more ankle stability or do they need more mobility? Most people need a little bit more ankle mobility. Most people need a little bit more hip mobility, but not everybody. So I don't look at it in that joint by joint stability, mobility, like back and forth, like you see the, the more traditional FMS style stuff do. Um, and, and I don't, I like a lot of their stuff, but I don't think I've noticed many of their uh, instructors talking about that concept as much lately. Okay. And, and so you're saying that um, basically we can't even look at a joint and say this is a mobile joint because it should have some degree of both. Maybe it is more of a mobile joint, but you should, you should be finding stability in that joint as well. Can you explain Correct. that? So if you go by that joint by joint approach, um, for those people that aren't that are listening, aren't familiar, like the, the functional movement crowd used to talk quite a bit about like ankle needs mobility, knee needs stability, hip needs mobility. And they have these broad categories for what certain joints typically need. Um, but really it's it's both. Like you'll find people who whose shoulders are stiff. And, and in that joint by joint approach, most of the time they talk about the, the shoulder needing more mobility. Well, yeah, more people than not probably need more shoulder stability. They probably need more rotator cuff strength, but there's still a good subset of people that have truly stiff shoulders and need mobility there. But so I don't really look at it like black and white. If I'm working on somebody's mobility, we're adding stability as well. You kind of have to do both. So I don't want to open up somebody's shoulder range of motion and then let's say we did some technique that that added 10 degrees of shoulder overhead mobility to them. We need to then teach the body how to use that mobility a little bit. We need to build strength in that newly open range of motion. So anytime I do mobility work, it's also accompanied by stability work. So I don't look at it through that lens. I always look at it as let's open up range of motion and then let's get strong in that new range of motion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that you, I, I would love for you to define, um, just kind of, again, in layman terms, and then we can kind of get into how to look at these in your training, but um, mobility versus stability versus flexibility. Cause I think that's something that I've heard people talk about. And it was actually really, uh, it's an interesting side of this because like you just said, um, if you get really mobile in an area, but you can't express strength or performance in that mobility, what good is it at yeah. preventing injury when instead of just doing an overhead reach, you're now doing an overhead squat or an overhead press, or you have a barbell snatch and you have load over your head and you have to create stability and tension there, um, which is something that I've heard with flexibility as well. It's like if somebody can touch their toes and they have super flexible hamstrings, great. But if you can't do a, a normal barbell RDL with a good load, what use is that? Especially if if we're talking in the context of lifting, which obviously we are, because that's what the listeners are, care about. So mm -hmm. can you kind of explain um, the difference between those three categories and just maybe like how the general lifter should be looking at them or maybe uh, the hierarchy of those for lifters or, or however you want to yeah. break it down and how you break it down to clients that you would work with? Yeah, that's a great question because so often when people talk about mobility or flexibility, they don't actually define what they mean with those those terms. So for me, when I'm thinking of mobility, I'm thinking of more, what can you actively get into and passively get into? Mm. Because there are a lot of people out there that could um, 
let's use, I think you said a hamstring example earlier. So there are a lot of people that have really good hamstring flexibility, but you then ask them to take that and do a, a leg raise out in front of their body. So their hamstrings are flexible, but they're standing up and I ask them to keep their knee straight, but lift that leg out in front of them. I don't know why I would ask them to do that, but it's just the easiest example I can think of. You'll find a lot of people that can't actually lift their leg anywhere close to the amount of motion that they can do if I was to grab their leg and move them through that same movement pattern. And so in that individual, that def, uh, deficiency between what they can actively move into and what they can passively move into is, is something that we probably want to address. And, and you'll have people use a bunch of different terminology in terms of how they're going to address that or what they're going to diagnose that as. You'll have people that say that that's a stability issue. You'll have people say that's a motor control issue. I don't really care what your terminology there is. I just want to know, does the joint have the, the joint and muscle have the potential in its passive range of motion to get into the range of motion that's needed for that active motion that we care about? Can we actively express that motion? And then can we do that underneath load? So let me give a, another example for that. It's probably a, a better one. You lay on your back and I lift your shoulder overhead. Let's say you're somebody wanting to do overhead lifting. I can take your shoulder through 180 degrees of shoulder flexion. You have full shoulder motion, but I flip you over and I ask you to do that against gravity and you can't do that. So you have the motion, but you can't actually express it. we got a gap in your fitness. At those end ranges of shoulder flexion, those little small muscles around your shoulder can't move you through that full range of motion. So let's address that issue. But then there's also going to be things of what happens when we put load on the body. Like You might have great active motion. You might have great passive motion, but things change when we add stress, load, and fatigue to the equation. What happens when we go and do a heavy overhead press? Do you all of a sudden not actually fully open your shoulder up and you start like overextending at your trunk and doing other weird little things there? So I want to look at the entire continuum with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, another example that I could think of too would even be a squat. Like if somebody can't break parallel with any yeah. kind of load, but you lay on your back and bring your knees to your chest and you get in like a perfect baby squat position while on the ground because there's no need for stability. There's no load on your spine. You can do it. And I've actually used that example with a client when I was training people in person just for proof of concept of like, hey, like you can eventually mm -hmm. if we train it properly, if we get you to that place. So using these examples like the overhead, the hamstring and the squat, just because those are three like really easy targets. And I think a lot of times, you know, I, I would say uh, low back, knee pain, shoulder pain, they're just really common areas. And usually mm -hmm. it's from pressing or squatting or deadlifting. So in these areas, what are you doing to try to not just figure out what's going on, but actually address it. So let's say somebody's listening and it, it's in any of those categories. They can do that motion if somebody manually helps them get there or they're laying on the ground or they're doing whatever. But when it comes to doing it in a standing position or doing it with load or anything like that, it becomes a little bit of an issue. What are you trying to do with them? And, and obviously you don't have to say specific exercises and protocols, but mm -hmm. more or less like, what do they do? Like, how do they go about this? Is there like a continuum or like a process, a step-by-step -step thing that you're using some kind of method that opens people up or gets them used to it? How long does it take? Yeah. Just that kind of whole spiel. There are a lot of different ways you can get after it. I'll say probably my favorite way to get after a lot of those different things is to use isometrics. So if we're using your squat example of somebody that we demonstrate laying on the ground and they have the adequate hip mobility to squat deep, but you ask them to do it in standing and they only get down to, you know, a quarter squat, we know that we don't need to stretch anything. So I think for them, so often the best thing to do is an isometric, and we can do this multiple different ways. One way, we could, we could have them squat down to the lowest depth they can get to, and we ask them to hold that bottom depth with some load for five seconds. 
And we know that doing isometrics from a number of different research studies not only improves your strength where you pause, but you get carryover a few degrees above and below that area that you're paused in. So if you were to do that example, you're going to notice that week by week, your ability to get a little bit lower and hold that isometric a hair lower, hair lower, hair lower will get better to the point where you get to where you're squatting at the depth that you want. Or a lot of times I go the opposite direction. So let's say somebody can only squat to like 90 degrees of knee bend. I make them sit on a medicine ball that has them positioned a little bit deeper than what they can actively get to. And I'll get them lined up and positioned how I think they should look for in a squat, but sitting on that medicine ball. And now I have them imagine that there's a scale underneath that medicine ball. Your butt's on it. Right now it says all of your body weight. Make it say half your body weight. So you just unload that scale a little bit. Now lift up only like a half inch off the medicine ball. So we're doing an isometric. We get somebody positioned below where they can actively get to, and they lift up, still staying slightly below where they can actively get to. But now we start to teach their body what we want to be working and where we want their position to be in when they're a little deeper than what they can get to from the top going down. Is Those this, are my probably two favorites. Is this like a, I know you don't like to call it one thing, but is this like a more of like a neurological thing than, and the reason I say is because obviously like isometrics and strength and sometimes it, it is like your nervous system needs to adapt in those positions, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. But I think sometimes when people think about injuries or um, range of motion, mobility and stuff, a lot of times they think joint tendon, like it's something's wrong with my joint or I don't have the mobility or my muscle or anything like that. Do you find that it, it's more often than not, they are physically capable if you can get their nervous system to adapt properly, if that makes sense. If they have the prerequisite mobility and we're looking at like just their unloaded squat and they can't hit that range of motion that they have passively, I do think that that's a little bit more neurologically. Their, their motor control system just does not know how to coordinate all of that stuff together. Got it. You will see some people that are more on the, the strength perspective. So I had somebody... Um, that I saw last week that was asked me to look at her hip mobility. She's like, my squat is garbage. I can't squat to parallel. I used to be able to, I don't know why I can't anymore. I think it's my hips. And I watched her squat. She did an air squat. She went ass to the grass and I'm like, you've got great. I don't even need to look at your hip mobility because your air squat's great. So we loaded up because she said, look, when there's 135 pounds in the bar, I can't squat that low. And I looked at her 135 squat and it, yeah, she's right. She couldn't squat to parallel. But it wasn't, that's not neurological. That's that she got to a weight that was heavier than what she had the, the strength to demonstrate through full range of motion. Mm. So my answer to her wasn't to do any mobility work, wasn't even to do the isometric stuff we talked about. I just said, you put too much weight in the bar and your body's telling you that you can't go all the way down with that weight and stand it back up. So it's making you stop halfway down. So we unloaded it down to 115 pounds and she went right back down going ass to the grass. And we just basically reprogrammed her. We said, reprogrammed what she's currently doing in the gym or dropped the weight down and told her, look, you don't add weight until you can hit this many sets and reps at that full depth. And then we add five pounds to the bar. When you can hit five by five with 125 pounds, then we jump it back up to 135. But if when we make certain jumps, all of a sudden your range of motion drops down, then we know that that was a bigger jump than your body was prepared for. Yeah. So it can be neurological. It can also just be pure strength. I love that you're able to uh, regress it to that, you know, being a PT, it's, it's nice when you're like, no, we don't need to do anything fancy. Like this is actually yeah. just a strength thing. That's no like corrective. The, yeah. The performance side <laughs> the of the squat talking. is the corrective. Yeah. Um, so what, like, what do you find is most common? Like, it, do you find that people coming to you, it, it's 
I would assume people come to you. It's not that case. It's like, it's not usually strength because they probably come to you when they're like, I, I've tried to build strength. Like it's something else going on. Do you find it is more people are lacking mobility? Do you find it is more flexibility or it's more stability? And then where is it most commonly stemming from? And I ask that because I'm curious if people are training dysfunction for a long time before they reach you and that's where it's come from. So you're like you're reprogramming how people move. And again, when I, when I say tr training dysfunction for people listening, I don't necessarily mean it's because you're squatting wrong, but like maybe your, your running gait is wrong. You're walking awkwardly. You sit in a weird position, your posture sucks or like lifestyle environmental factors that can like, like you said earlier, they build up over time and then they get to this point where now they're starting to lift and they're lifting improperly or with improper form and it's causing more issues, if that makes sense. I would say the majority of time when people come to see me for pain in an area, more times than not, it is not that they lack mobility or that their technique set off. More times than not, it's it's this mismatch between what they're asking their body to do and what they're doing from a recovery perspective. Usually in, in the patients that I treat, this is when they have training volume errors. So we have a athlete that decides, you know what, I'm tired of my squat being a weak link in my, my strength and fitness game. I'm going to jump into a, a small off squat cycle. I'm sure you've seen the small off squat cycle. If you're listening to this, uh, you're not familiar with the small off squat cycle. It's a, it's a very intense squatting program that was designed for Soviet Union weightlifters, like the elites of the elites, that's entire life revolved around their training, including some extra supplementation that most of us aren't on. And that is not what the normal person is going to be able to recover from most of the time. If you're used to squatting once a week and all of a sudden you jump into a program that has you squatting three or four times a week, that's you asking tissues to do a lot more than they're used to. Yeah. And I'd say more times than not, when I see injuries, there is a training volume error or there's the other side of it. There's lifestyle like work has gotten really busy. They're insanely stressed and they're trying to maintain the same amount of exercise that they were before without doing anything to downregulate after work, or they're not getting enough total calories in. They're not getting enough protein in. They're not sleeping seven or eight hours a night. There's some mismatch between those two. I'd say that two thirds of the people that I treat with pain, it's that side one third of the people, it's a mobility or technique issue. A lot of times there's overlap, but I would say two thirds of the time, it's primarily training volume or recovery mismatch. And you primarily work with athletes, correct? Correct. And I would say yeah. that that makes sense knowing that, you know, because I think a lot of times athletes and, and I see it in the more physique world as well, like when they want to specialize in, in a muscle group or if it is in a certain lift, like you mentioned, they just increase that and they forget to decrease anything else. It's like, yeah, total volume matters too. So like we have yeah. to even it out, you know? So I think that's a really, really good point. So if you, if you want to go on a small off squat cycle, like you can do it, but what you have to realize is that you need to cut back your upper body volume. You're also not going to be deadlifting during a small off squat cycle. You know, it might be, you're doing that small off squat cycle. And then on your off days, you're doing like bench press one day and some pull-ups and like, it's a very toned down volume on your upper body days so that you still aren't over challenging your body's ability to recover. It's your body's bank account. Yep. you got money coming into your bank account every month. You've got money that you're spending every month. If you're spending more money than you're bringing in, pretty soon you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in debt. You're going to have credit card bills, et cetera. So we've got to balance that out. So this, I think this would be a really good, I wasn't planning on asking this, but I think this will be a good question for you because um, we, <laughs> they pu we pulled a podcast clip of me up recently and it was basically me saying like, you don't have to squat. 
And if you listen to the podcast, I was saying, if you're trying to build muscle in your quads, you don't have to specifically back squat. There's a lot of squat variations, Mm -hmm. but the way the sound clip kind of ended up, it it doesn't emphasize the back squat for hypertrophy. And so like people are just ripping. It's, it's actually hilarious. Some of the people in the comments are like, this guy's just a pussy. He can't squat and just going off. (laughs) It's hilarious. But my question is your importance of the compound lifts. And I'm asking you specifically because you are focused on eliminating or preventing injury for athletes, but you also specifically work with a lot of athletes who are required to do that lift. Like if you're in CrossFit or a weightlifter and you're not doing a barbell squat, like you're not, there's the specificity rule is kind of out the window at that point, right? You're not doing the thing you're supposed to get good at. Whereas bodybuilding, do a half field squat, do a leg press, do a hack squat. Yeah. Like you can do anything. Um, so my question is, is like the, the importance of like, what do you, what importance do you place on that from a standpoint of getting somebody to be able to improve it if they have an injury or, or, or an issue from it? Are you the type of person that says, Hey, let's remove it until we address these issues and bring it back. Or do you want to continue doing that movement because the rule of specificity is so important? So that's a, that's a big question. Um, there are a couple of pieces to it. So number one, I, I agree with you. Like if you're, if you're not a CrossFit or Olympic lifter, power lifter, and, and your goal is just to purely build muscle mass, uh, physique improvements, you do not have to back squat. There are plenty of other ways to provide a stimulus to those muscles, especially when we're in the physique world. So much of that is dictated on different exercises, tax people's bodies a little bit more than others. Mm-hmm. I can deadlift heavy three times a week. I don't know why, but like deadlifts don't fatigue me. You ask me to squat three times a week and I am wrecked. So like there's uh, Mike Isertel and the Renaissance periodization people, they talk about this stimulus fatigue ratio that's different for everybody. There are certain exercises that are going to fatigue your body more than others. If your goal is muscle mass and physique, then you might want to be looking at different exercise variations and how you feel like which of these make you feel like your muscles got crushed, but you're able to recover from them really well. That's probably a little bit more bang for buck in, in your world. When we're talking about that, more of the athletes that I work with, your CrossFitters, Olympic lifters, power lifters, where the principle of specificity there is that they have to back squat mm-hmm. or they have to front squat. It is going to show up in their competition. It's going to show up in their programming. What do I do when somebody has pain with those movements? And all of those decisions are based on somebody's irritability with that. If we're talking about somebody that has like some tendonitis, tendinopathy in their knee when they squat, but it's only a minor level of irritation when they squat, that's fine. And in fact, that's probably good for the tendon that it's still getting load from squatting. But if we're talking about somebody that's getting significant tendon pain when they squat or significant back pain when they squat, then I will maybe modify that exercise. Maybe we have them do a box squat or maybe we have them think of a different cue to change their positioning a little bit to change where that load goes. Or maybe we sub out for different variations, like for people with back pain. So often like switching from a back squat to a front squat will reduce the amount of stress that they feel on their back and allow them to keep pushing their general squat strength up while we respect the fact that their irritability dictates that they can't do back squats at this moment. So it's, it's a combination of that. It's, sometimes it's just modifying. Sometimes it's adjusting the load a little bit. Sometimes it's changing the exercise that we're doing. Very occasionally, it's completely removing something from somebody's programming for a period of time. Like we were talking beforehand about your uh, your media guy there who just had a meniscus debridement, it sounded like. Mm-hmm. That's somebody that, you know, we're a couple of days out from surgery. We're not doing heavy back squats in that person's programming, but we might incorporate different things to try to maintain as much fitness as possible around that injury right now. Yeah. But for the most part, it's, it's more minor modifications, hopefully. What, uh, and that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, 
with your deadlift and squat very like uh, example of what you can do. I'm curious, do you have long legs? Or like, are you, are you like, what are your levers like? Uh, and, and I ask that because it's the exact opposite for me. Like deadlifting more than once a week wrecks me, but I can squat multiple times a week and I'm totally fine. Especially if I'm not doing like obviously singles or something crazy heavy or anything. Yeah. Um, and I got to imagine it kind of has to go with the levers that you're built with. Levers will have a big role in it. I, I am somebody that when you look at me, I'm, I'm long and lanky, like I'm six to 200 pounds but I'm not like disproportionately like long legs, long arms, like you'll see some elite deadlifters do. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say that is, that is a, for sure a big component of that. I don't know what the answer for me on that is though. Yeah. I have a, I have a buddy who's uh, who I left with every once in a while. His name's Cody as well. And he's way taller than me, but it's, it's funny. Cause when we, if we're both squatting, like my squat, the, the range of motion and the distance traveled is so much less for me because he's got six inches on me or something, you know? So it's just like, it's way easier for me, but um, okay. So I do want to touch on a couple more topics and, and uh, I want to make sure I hit them because they're all like probably heavy hitters that could probably be a podcast in itself, but we'll try to kind of get the most out of them in a short period of time. Um, and the first one is the prehab idea. Like um, I'm not mm -hmm. sure if prehab is even really technically a word because obviously there's rehab, but the way I look at it is like there might be people listening. They're like, hey, I want to push my performance. I want to push lifting. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't have any actual injuries yet but I want to make sure I avoid them and I want to pay attention to little cues and stuff like that. What are you doing for the person that doesn't have injuries, but they're serious about lifting and you need to make sure that they don't get injuries. Cause maybe there's, maybe there's a little bit of dysfunction, how they move or something. And if, as they keep progressing the load, the likelihood of them getting injured obviously goes up. Like what is your, your protocol, your, your advice for those kind of people? Yeah. So if we have some little, little deficiencies in your movement patterns and your prehab, everything should be ideally a little bit more specific. Like if we know that your squat technique is slightly off because of stiff ankles, then I, I do think that working on your ankle mobility to get in better positioning will serve you well, both from a performance perspective, as well as doing a better job of spreading out the stress of squatting across multiple tissues. So that as you progressively overload that over months and years, you're not disproportionately putting stress on one tissue. But overall, like if you move well and you don't have any significant issues there and you don't have any significant injury history, then I think the best prehab is just solid training where we're focused on building more tissue fitness. We're squatting, we're lunging, we're hinging, we're doing upper body pushing, pulling vertically, horizontally. We're training the body through all those different planes, all those different positions. I think that's the best rehab. If you have specific deficiencies, get after those specific deficiencies. If you have an injury history, then you are probably somebody that, that might want to consider regularly keeping up with different things. Like if you know that your back is the thing that gets tweaked every other year, you have a bad back episode for two weeks, then I think it's probably worthwhile for you to keep in a little bit of extra accessory work for that area every now and then. So we're going to add in some extra back strength work for you. Or if you always um you know tweak your knee every other year like let's make sure we're doing a little bit of extra quad accessory work to keep fitness in those tissues and build those up a little bigger and stronger there's a lot of research on like why injuries happen and every time that study the number one reason an injury happens is that that tissue had a previous injury mm. so when you injure a tissue you kind of get back to working out pain-free that doesn't necessarily mean that that tissue is back at full strength yeah and so I think a lot of times, like one of my favorite sayings uh, that, that I use in the clinic all the time is that back to baseline is bullshit. I don't want you, you come into me with, with rotator cuff tendinopathy. I don't want to get your shoulder as strong as it was prior to your injury because that shoulder got injured. 
Yeah. There was something off on those tissue strength capacities. So I'm not getting back to, to baseline. I'm going to make you stronger than you were before. So those tissues are more robust, more resilient, and less likely to get injured again in the future. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's actually, I, I love that, that saying and, and how you go about that. I think that's something people can take and actually just consider. I mean, I even think about that in the dieting space is like, if you keep fucking up on your diet, don't go back to what you were doing. Like you have to develop the habits mm -hmm. to get through it in a better way. Um, so that's really, really good. Uh, so, and I know this isn't black and white, but speaking on prehab and kind of like this maintenance level to just avoid the stuff, would you say then that for most people who don't have this injury, full range of motion, functional strength training is what you need for mobility and flexibility. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like if you're controlling the movement, yeah. tempo and everything, you got your stability, you're doing full range of motion, yep. that's flexibility, everything. Yep. I, I don't have any significant injury history. I have fairly good mobility. The areas that I, in, in my personal fitness life that hold my mobility back, I've gotten after and I've improved. So I move well. I don't have a big injury history. I do zero mobility work personally. And I don't do, you don't find me like regularly hitting extra rotator cuff strength work and extra glute work and things like that, because I get that done with my pull-ups and my rows and my bench press and my overhead press and squatting full range of motion. So I don't do prehab personally. That's really, really, really cool to hear actually. Training training's prehab. Yeah. From you, that that's really cool to hear. And I think that's important because I think that, um, and I don't want to. I'm going to name drop something and this is not me saying anything bad. I actually know some people are really involved in this and they're great people. And I think it's awesome. Um, but like FRC was like really huge and people, mm -hmm. I think some people took it out of context to an extent where they thought they had to become like Gumby in order to perform. And it was like, no, unless you want to become Gumby, you don't need to come, become Gumby. So like uh, the stretching thing is always something I talk to people about and they get really confused on because they think they have to stretch before and after workouts or anything. I'm like, well, if you're controlling you're again using the hamstrings as an example. If you're doing a full range of motion RDL, you already stretch your hamstrings today. You you're doing your stretching work. Doing more is probably just going to create more muscle damage. And as we know, if you do too much, especially before, it might lower your performance. So, are you yeah. only recommending stretching when it is a rehab setting? Like somebody actually has to do this in order to rehabilitate a an injury or something? That or if it's preventing them from getting into the positions. For the movements that they care about okay. but if again if you move great you don't have any serious like mobility issues hindering you from doing the things that you love i don't think you get any more added benefit from doing mobility work i love it i, I like the functional range conditioning people have some good stuff but you also do see a lot of people that have um gotten really into like mobility is everything and like yeah. that's their full workout is doing that sort of stuff and i think that that's going to leave some holes in people's fitness mm -hmm. to just do that if that's what you like to do if you want to go do cars and pails yeah. and rails and that sort of stuff and that's like the the fitness stuff that you love and it keeps you motivated go for it but if you want to move heavy barbells if your goal is you know maximizing muscle mass looking better than 45 minutes of mobility work every day is not going to be the the biggest roi for you in terms of your overall fitness and physique i love it is there uh is there any uh i mean what is the when we talk about like specifically with like tendons and ligaments um i i, I feel like i remember uh some research on like maybe it was isometrics and eccentrics or one versus other, but like certain ways of lifting that are going to be more beneficial for ligaments and tendons versus just like when I'm talking stretching, usually with people, it's like a full range of motion, um, even sometimes exaggerating that stretch phase because we know that's going to help with hypertrophy. But when we're talking mm -hmm. tendons and ligaments. Um, is the same exact thing kind of apply? Is there any uh, reason to emphasize the eccentric or the isometric or anything like that in that regard? Yeah, um, and tendons for sure. So 
from an eccentric perspective, like slowly lowering a weight down into a stretch position. And there is research from a hypertrophy standpoint of that being uh, beneficial. Um, but there's also from a flexibility perspective, eccentrics do a much better job typically than just static stretching of actually elongating tissues and making them longer. But from a tendon perspective, you'll see in the tendon research world that there's this big shift towards eccentric loading, doing a better job of strengthening those tendons and making them stronger than doing um, you know, normal speed. So going slower has a, has a good benefit on tendons. Mm. I don't think that that means that you need to now change all of your training to where every squat you do, every hinge you do, you're going through a slow eccentric. But I do think that it's valuable to incorporate that in periods of your time and your training. So again, I work primarily with CrossFitters and Olympic lifters, and those are individuals that like speed is the thing for both of those. An Olympic lifter wants to catch the bar in near the bottom of the squat and get this quick bounce out of the hole to help propel them up. That's great from a sports performance perspective. The same thing for a CrossFitter. But at periods of the time of the year, we probably want to spend a block of training where we do slow eccentrics with all of our squats so that we're building up a little bit of tendon strength while also still getting our overall squatting stronger. And I think if more people would incorporate that little bit of eccentric focus, if they're a CrossFitter Olympic lifter, that their, their health, their tissue fitness, and their overall squat strength would improve overall. So I'm very much like uh, one of my mentors always says, and not, or, and that's where I kind of am with everything. Everybody's so black and white. It's yeah. this or that. It's a combination of stuff almost always. Yeah. hundred percent agree. And I think that's a, a really good point for just the idea of, um, I mean, the, the principle of spe uh, specificity for those people would yeah. imply it's like speed, 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 speed. But you're saying like, no, like we also, the, the rule of specificity also means we have to do the opposite in order to develop the tendon strength for the specific goal at hand. So there, there's yeah. a lot more behind the scenes that goes into the programming of that, which is refreshing to hear. Cause like you said, I think what's uh, what gets, we talk about this all the time, what gets like attention on, on line and the clickbait, you know, it is the polarizing black or white answer, but nine times out of 10 in the fitness and industry, nutrition industry, it's not that it's, and like it, yep. it's both. Um, okay. So talking about specific areas, the, the, the number one, most common injury that I see at least, uh, or I've seen in my uh, history as a, as a trainer is low back, right? We always hear about people with low back issues. Um, one of the most, uh, popular people, uh, Stuart McGill and like the big three, that is like one of the most common things. So I'm curious of your, um, thought, and I don't think he's black and white with this I think He's really, really intelligent. Um, but I'm curious with, uh, why that works, if it works, what your thoughts are on it, like what you recommend, instead or whatever just because sometimes it almost seems like it's just so simplistic but like some of the ways he describes it with looking at people and seeing like are they flexion intolerant like is that where it's happening is flexion-based movements extension-based movements is it rotation like what is going on but i'm just curious how do people determine what is causing them the issue and then what should they actually do about it with low back pain yeah, so with any injury I, I think the most important thing to do if it's a serious injury not just a tweak like we all tweak something every other month and we know like all right this thing's a little sore it'll be gone in two days right when you have an actual injury one thing that a lot of people skip is actually like accurately trying to track their symptoms so that they know if what they're currently doing is having the right effect or not mm -hmm. and so they're kind of playing guesswork with their body so there, let, let's say your back hurts with deadlifts. Like I need to know more than just your back hurts with deadlifts. How much weight does it take to turn on how much pain? 
And then how long does your pain stay present after we do that movement? That's what we call irritability. But if we're doing the right exercises and things to, to work on that, we should see that week by week, you can lift more weight with the same amount of pain or that weight produces less pain or that pain hangs out less time afterwards. We've got to really accurately track those symptoms to know if what we're doing is having a positive effect. When you start tracking those symptoms and you write down, you know, the three or four things that bother your back or your knee or whatever it is, you're going to start to notice some patterns that, that, you know, of these four movements that bother my back, three of those have me in a hip hinge, like deadlifts, kettlebell swings, and Romanian deadlifts are the three things that really bother my back. Okay. So something about the hip hinge pattern is bothering me. And then you start to notice patterns and that'll help you kind of establish what your back is a little less tolerant of. From a McGill 3 perspective, since you mentioned that, McGill 3 are three different core stability exercises. I do like those at times for people because it basically gets them, if they have pain, if they're flexion intolerant, now make them stiffen their core prior to us doing deadlifts or hip hinge movements, then a little bit stiffer core is going to make it less likely that they go into those intolerant positions. But on the flip side, I see a ton of people that have done the McGill 3 for years and they say like, yeah, every time I do it, I feel a little bit better, but they've been so focused on staying stiff for such a long time that they actually lost low back motion. And we forget that the spine is supposed to flex and extend. Maybe we don't want a maximally flex, flex spine when we're deadlifting 400 pounds, but there's nothing wrong with flexing your spine to pick up a pin. There's nothing wrong with picking up that 25 pound kettlebell that's on the ground with your back being a little bit rounded. Our spines aren't that fragile. And I think a lot of times people get too much into the core stability. Don't move the back when we're modifying somebody's symptoms that they think that that's how you're supposed to move for forever. And that's a very important distinction between modifying somebody's pain now and what they should be doing long time, long term. So another example of that would be if you have knee pain and you sit back in your squats and you keep your shins more vertical, you're probably not going to aggravate your knees as much. And that can be a great strategy to modify your squats to allow you to continue to work on that when your knees hurt. But that doesn't mean that for the rest of your life, we never let your knees go over your toes when you squat. In fact, if we do that for forever, we're probably going to lose out on some knee strength, knee fitness, quad fitness. So we modify stuff to allow you to continue work on your general fitness, but we have to make sure we kind of get back to doing that stuff as well. Did I fully answer that? Yeah, no, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I think that's my, my, uh, my theory or thought behind the McGill Big Three is that it was his, maybe his most useful way, and I can't speak for him obviously, but um, the, the most useful way to get a protocol out to the masses that would probably mm -hmm. help a lot of people, you know, but as we know, it's very individual. So when somebody asks me and I get this question all the time, what's the best hypertrophy program? I'm like, well, that's, I mean, do you have two hours? Can I ask you 20 questions? Like there's just so mm -hmm. much to it. You can't just answer that blatantly black and white, but I would probably go out and say most people probably hurt themselves doing hip hinges in their low back more than other things. And so he might've used that as a protocol to help with that specific thing. Um, and obviously it, it's very person dependent. Um, and the knee thing is, is actually really helpful too. And that was one of the, the problem areas I was going to ask about. And I think that um, you know, especially with, uh, like knees over toe guy, like that's super popular now and everybody thinks they need to do that. And, and I agree, I think you should be able to do that. Um, but it can also cause issues in the beginning. And it goes back to the fact that like, I don't remember who it was, but I remember reading something about sports specific training and they were really big on like partial range of motion. And it, the problem with it was like, okay, well, if you get really strong in that partial range, what happens when that football player is on the field 
and he goes into a full range while being tackled or sprinting or cutting, yeah. he's going to tear a ligament or a tendon because he doesn't have strength in that range. So it goes back to what you were saying earlier with like, we have to be able to train multiple ranges and emphasize multiple aspects of that range, speed and, and control and shortened and lengthened and all these different, different things. Um, and so I, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but the other thing I was just going to ask about with, with knee is just basically like, um, I, this is more of like a gen pop way of thinking. So pretty minimalistic, but I think it'd be good to nip in the butt. A lot of people think oh, I injured my knee. I need to build my quad strength. And I hear that a lot. And I think that sets up people for the wrong thing. Cause then they start doing the wrong exercises while trying to rehab where I know I've had a lot of success with people and I don't rehab people. But when I implement strength training alongside of a PT, which I've done many times, I actually really focus a lot on hamstring strength in, in, you know, doing like single leg RDLs with a really light load and, and stability from that perspective versus a split squat right away or, or trying to do any type of quad dominant squat pattern. Cause if we use a box or we sit back in our hips, it's more of a hip dominant squat, which helps, you know? So just, just thoughts on that idea overall as well. Um, there are times where knee pain gets help with quad strengthening and gets worse with hamstring. There's times where knee pain gets worse with quad strengthening better with hamstring. So it's all based on the individual in front of you and what specifically they need and they respond to but if no matter what, if we go back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, we're tracking our symptoms yeah. and the symptom behavior model, we should see that, you know, within two or three weeks of incorporating this different thought process on what we're trying to do to manage this injury, we should see that it positively is affecting our symptom behavior if it's the right area to work on. That might not mean that it's gone at that point, but it should be that now, you know, your air squat no longer feels like a six out of 10. Now it's a three out of 10. Great. Whatever we're doing is having a positive effect. And now we have to determine, do we just keep that same dosage of exercise on it? Or do we get more aggressive with that dosage? Is, if you're always tracking the symptom behaviors, you'll always know if you're on the right track or not. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I think is, is it always so individual that like, I guess I'm wondering, is there ever, and maybe this is in more of like the, the PT world or, or, or areas that you, you left and you didn't want to be a part of, you want to kind of do your own thing. Um, is there generic rules of thumbs where like, oh, if it's an ACL, you work on hamstring or if it's a meniscus, you work like, and I, those might complete completely opposite, but is there like a simplistic thought process like that? And you believe it's way more individual because it could go either way with any injury or is it pretty injury specific? Um, it's going to be pretty specific to every individual, but I will give you one overarching philosophy that I believe in okay. rehab that I think will kind of answer your question. Okay. When somebody has shoulder pain, whether that's rotator cuff tendinopathy or shoulder instability, something like a labrum tear, just too much motion in the shoulder, we strengthen the tissues around that area. We strengthen their rotator cuff. When somebody has Achilles tendinopathy, while their technique may play an impact in that, how they run might play an impact in that, no matter what other factors are involved, when you have Achilles tendinopathy, we strengthen your Achilles tendon and the calf complex. When somebody has back pain, here's where we kind of get it off. When somebody has back pain, all of a sudden we only jump to strengthening the core or strengthening the glutes. And a big thing that I believe is a principle of human rehab is when something hurts, we make those tissues stronger and we load those tissues progressively. And we got to make sure we do it at an appropriate level. If your back hurts, doesn't mean that we instantly put 405 pounds on the barbell and say, go deadlift. I don't care how much your back hurts. We're just going to make it stronger. But one overall arching principle in rehabbing injuries is you want to make those tissues stronger and progressively stronger. 
Got it. I love that. I think it's, uh, I mean, one thing I want to point out is for everybody listening, you know, a good coach when they will not give you a yes or no answer. And I've tried to, <laughs> I've tried to throw a few at you and you keep dodging them. And, and this is why when I do Q and A's, they go forever. Cause I'm like, well, it depends. And then it just starts, I start rambling, but, yep. um, I love that. Cause it, it's so, so true. And in speaking of that, um, this kind of relates and, and it's, I'm, I can't believe I didn't write this down. Cause I think this is an interesting topic, but like, um, that's to me, I think of a basketball player rolls his ankle and they throw a, a, a ankle brace on it for however long. And now they mm-hmm. don't strengthen it and they create more stiffness. And then that probably prevents them from fixing it longer. Granted, you don't roll your ankle ankle and then go, yeah, go do a hundred jumps. Like just do it. Like you'll get through it. But would you agree that that's something similar? Like you probably don't want to almost baby and isolate the injury too much. Cause you need that movement. You need some blood flow in there and stuff like that. Yeah. So you sprain your ankle as a basketball player. I like putting brace on. What are we doing there? We're modifying your activities so that you can stay on the basketball court doing the thing that you love and the sport that you need to be doing, mm-hmm. but we have to also address other stuff. So I want you out of the brace a lot because I want to be strengthening those muscles. I want to strengthen them in weird positions too. Um, I want to be pumping blood into there. And the more, when, when you have an injury to an area, you're dealing with actual mechanical t- mechanical damage on tissues, as well as inflammation hanging out in an area. And inflammation has positive benefits to injuries, but you can also get into stages where there's just too much inflammation in an area. I think if we can pump a bunch of blood into an area, we can help to start remove some of that inflammation. We can get some of that initial pain calmed down a little faster, but then we want to get really aggressive with the strengthening on something like an ankle sprain. And so things like, um, you know, most ankle sprains happen when somebody rolls their ankle inward. And I think so often we then, from a, a rehab perspective, we do calf raises and things like that. Well, I want those individuals challenging their stability. I want them to stand on their feet and roll their ankles out as if they were going to actually roll their ankle. But let's do it nice, slow, and controlled. And we're kind of actually getting to those in ranges where things typically get sketchy because I want them to have strength in those sketchy positions so that their muscles can also help them out when they get to those positions. And they're not just reliant on those ligaments, hopefully holding on it in range. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually pretty similar to what was so different about my first meniscus tear and my second because I had the surgery again in the second time I was doing blood flow restriction and I was laying on the the couch doing like basically squat pattern but bicycle because I didn't have a bike mm-hmm. to without resistance but like just laying on my back doing it with gravity but that general movement I was doing much sooner after surgery than mm-hmm. I did the first time whereas the first time it was like just painkillers and rest and just nothing, you know, and this is, I yeah. mean, this is before I was in the, the industry. I think I was like, 16 when I had that first one maybe but um I think that's coming out I had uh, Aaron Horshig on here Squat University and he talked a lot about that with me as well and, and kind of how some of the guys leading the PT strength world like yourself are implementing more of that movement-based rehab sooner to help people get through those injuries a lot faster yeah and blood flow restriction is one of the, the most amazing things in the research right now for those initial injuries mm-hmm. Um, helping you load up an area, not even load it up, it's light load, but still maintain muscle mass, still build strength while something's injured. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I did blood flow. I would do it like right around my growing. So it was on my quads and hamstrings. And I uh, would mm-hmm. push my daughter in the stroller. Cause she was like one around the track. Yeah. I was like, I'm just walking, but I'm getting a quad and hamstring pump walking with this stroller. Um, but little things like that were really fun and interesting and exciting to kind of play with at the time. But um they were prescribed by my PT and they, they worked really, really well. So it's awesome. Um, 
Man, this has been an amazing podcast. That's that's all I had on the list for you today. I want to respect your time. Uh, thank you so much for all that you've you've delivered. So much value on this podcast. I think people are going to get a lot of this, and it's such a real approach. I really appreciate your direction, your way of going about this content because it's not black and white. And it's very individual, and it's not like be afraid of the barbell. Don't do this anymore. But it's not just like gung ho. Let's get after it either. And it's it's uh, that gray area. Although maybe not as like. Uh, hyped up in marketing you've done really well mm-hmm. to put it out and, and get people engaging on, on social media and stuff so kudos to you for that but it's so important for people to have that middle ground approach um i do want to ask you uh obviously where people can find you then go follow you but then also too like what you offer like what are you what do you offer online what do you offer in person like what do you do so people who do need your help and, and can find you can do so as well as they can follow your content so you can find me online. My my personal website is thebarbellphysio.com or on social media it's the barbell physio. Um, but from a, what I offer for people, I have partnered with a gymnastic expert, Pamela Gagnon for fitness athletes, like people in CrossFit, Olympic weightlifting, that sort of spectrum, uh, performance plus programming.com. We have, offer a bunch of accessory programs for people. So, you know, if you know that your hip mobility is holding you back, we have a little program you can do for hip mobility. If you know that like you always tweak your back and you want to get ahead of back tweaks, we have an accessory program that adds extra targeted volume to your low back that you would do in addition to your normal strength and conditioning routine, your normal CrossFit routine to bring up that weak point to make it a little bit more robust, a little bit more resilient, a little less likely to get injured. I tend to like to point people instead of to my social media because it's just like a snapshot of things. I much prefer people to go to my website, go to thebarbellphysio.com and read full articles. We can actually get a lot more than you get on just social media because it's social media is just a, a show. I love that. I love that so much. But I talk about that so much on here because we put out articles every week on our website. And it's like social media, although we play the game, it's just like it goes. Yeah, around. you gotta play the game. IGTV was like 30 minutes and now we're getting like shorter and shorter. We just started doing oh, yeah. YouTube shorts and I'm like, we went to start it. I'm like, 30 seconds? Like, holy shit, how am I supposed to do this? Um, so I love that you're putting out articles, Max. I think that's so valuable. And a lot of business owners don't understand actually how important that is. So um I'm glad you, you brought that up, but um, we'll link all that in the description of the show. So you guys can go follow uh, the the website, the Instagram, check out the app and all that stuff. Um, and uh, you'll have his information because of the website. So if you have any questions, obviously you can reach out to his people. Um, I can't recommend it all enough. So go follow, go check it all out. And uh, man, thank you again for coming on the show and, and chatting with me. Thank you. Enjoy it.